introduce the next topic which the Kuzari is going to bring up. And that is really the next discussion, is a discussion of the fundamental proof of Yiddishkeit, which is the proof of Matan Torah. Um, the proof of mass revelation that we heard Hashem speak. So we're going to first see the way that the king asks for this proof, and then we'll analyze the way that the Chacham explains it, and maybe we'll add a bit of an explanation to say, explain the, the basis that the Chacham is coming from. And therefore we're holding by his pay, and this, it says like this, Amar HaKuzari, the king says, Nashuv el Let's go back to our first topic, which means the fundamental of the faith, the belief of the system of Kali Yisrael. And he asks him, let me know, Eich How did your Torah start? How did it spread? In other words, he understood that it was just had a starting point, and then it took time until the concepts of the Torah, so to speak, spread and became more popular. How did people agree to accept the Torah? How many years it took for the religion to be established? Until it became complete. And all these questions are basically based on the same premise, like we're going to see. And he says, The beginning of any religion, without exception, has to start with a few people who want to promote the religion. That they have to start to take on themselves, so to speak, to promote the idea that they think that the God wants them to show. And they, they increase, they continue their influence when they are in and they find other people that they can help to be like them. Or is there, or they find a king of a country who wants to promote the religion, the and then he'll force his subjects to accept it. And therefore, the starting point which the Khazari understood is that a religion has to start with a small nucleus of followers, and uh, they're going to be the ones to promote and spread the religion. And if we wanted to know how did Kaisal start, who was that first nucleus that held off, that kept the religion, and how did they spread it, how did they no, so to speak, bring more people into into the fold. That's his first question. His second question is also, how did it change? In other words, the other thing that Kazari takes as a given, and this is probably because of his experience in other religions, is that things change from the inception of the religion until it's, so to speak, its final form. And therefore, he wants to know how did it get built and what changed along the way. And just to use both of these um, questions where he's coming from, the Kuzari, the king, is let's say Christianity just as a parallel to show how we, what he means, and we find both of these points. And that is, it took a long time. Firstly, the, for Christianity to become accepted by anybody. Uh, in his own lifetime, Yashka wasn't accepted more than, more by, than a handful of people. And <coughs> even those handful of people considered him to be a prophet. It was only about 200 plus years later where the religion, so to speak, took off and became more popular, and that was because of the Roman Emperor Constantine who made it officially one of the religions of Rome. So it took a long time until whether Constantine really believed in it or it was just political expediency um, is not clear. 
but that was it was only then that Christianity really became something which was held of by a large amount of people, which was a number, like I said, a few hundred years after Yashik himself died. And the second point we see about Christianity is that it changed tremendously from its original form until what it eventually became. Originally, Yashka thought himself as a Moshiach, or as a, as a prophet of some sort. And the idea of a religion which was completely separate to Judaism, and uh, the pagan nature of Christianity, which is that there's, they believe in more than one, so to speak, deity, only came much later on. And therefore, the religion not only was, so to speak, dormant for many years until it became a religion which was accepted, but it also changed dramatically from the way that it was originally meant to be, so to speak, what Yashka himself thought of, until what is originally accepted by the people. So the Khazari thinks that all religions to work like that, and that's where he asks the Chacham to explain, the, so to speak, the development of religion for Judaism, for Kali Israel. And the Chavir answers him, Amr HaChavir, Lo yakum Nothing will grow and expand in that manner. Elahani Muslim HaSichlim, things which are based on logic, Ashat Chalosim in Adam, they began by a person, and the person who has thought of this idea or come up with this concept and now has to go and sell it to other people. When he gets strong and he has more people to help him, he will, then he will say that his idea, whatever it is, is divinely ordained or mandated and then he will convince other people. Something which begins from Hashem, who comes him, it starts on it suddenly. And just like the world began when Hashem wanted the world to begin, so if the religion isn't coming through a human agency, it's coming through divine agency, then it doesn't take time to set it up. And it doesn't take a number of generations for it to gain, so to speak, momentum. On the contrary, if Hashem wants to set up the religion, so as soon as He wants to do it, on the spot, it's going to happen. Uh, the argument which both of you have made is that maybe the whole, it took a long time of preparation to prepare Kaisal to accept the religion or to find somebody who would be willing to accept the religion. That could be. That's not the point he's trying to say right now. What he's trying to say right now is that the starting point of the religion was something which happened at one time and it didn't take time to develop. Even if, it, even if you're going to say that the pre- preparation of Mitzrayim was, so to speak, the the initial stage which in ready Klai Yisrael or make Klai Yisrael willing to accept whatever Hashem would tell them, that might be. But the starting point of what we claim happened, and that is something which wasn't developed over time or passed by a few people to many, the revelation which we saw was something which happened in front of everybody um, and, and uh, that, that's where we're going to say that, the, so to speak, the religion was born. The, the fact that Klai Yisrael happened to be slaves before that and therefore they felt indebted to Hashem is not directly related to the events which shaped the religion. That's just preparation for that. So now, the Kuzari does not understand what he means. And that's why he says, Amr HaKuzari, he surprises what you said. In other words, what do you mean that suddenly Hashem can make the religion happen? Now, before we're going to go through the Kuzari's answer, which is basically the Chacham's answer, is to go through the story we know of the Torah, the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, the, the, the story of the Jewish people's survival in the, in the desert, and the story of Mamad Har Sinai, right? There's, 
we're going to we can look at it as the historical account of the Torah, and uh, therefore use that as this is where, so to speak, the the Jewish people. This was their starting point, their birth, so to speak, collectively, and why it was something which became the religion and didn't change since then. We'll talk about that. But I want to add another dimension to the discussion also. And that is, if we're going to analyze, let's say, let's try and analyze critically from the outside maybe, the Torah's rendition of the facts, the Torah's story of what happened in Mitzrayim, what happened in the desert, and what happened in Harsinai, and we're going to weigh up, let's say, the weight of the proof, the strength of the of the testimony the Torah is telling us. We have to look at it in three ways, and uh, there are three different things to consider. And that is, if you're going to consider this proof of Yiddishkeit, so then let's look at three questions which we have to ask, and it's only when we can successfully answer all three, then we can say that this is a, an, a so to speak, an answerable proof. Okay, so the first, the first uh, question to ask always is, the Torah is going to state a lot of things which happened. The Torah tells us a lot of information. And is it possible to argue with information, or do you have to accept what the Torah says as being true? In other words, are we accepting the evidence? The Torah is going to give us a lot of facts. Is there any way to argue with the facts? That's going to be the first question to ask. Is there any way to deny the facts, disagree with the facts, or we have to accept the facts as the Torah says them? The second point is, so our first question is, if you're going to consider the veracity of a story, is there any way to deny the facts mentioned, number one? The second point we're going to have to look at is, having accepted the facts, is there any other explanation we can give for what happened besides for the Torah's one? In other words, we're not going to argue facts. Let's say we have to accept the facts, we'll discuss that. But then the next question is going to be, is there another way to explain them? In other words, the Torah is going to say this proves a certain point. So is there any other way to explain what happens which wouldn't prove the point? Do we have any other interpretation, let's say? That's uh, going to be our second, our second analysis. And our third analysis is going to be, has anybody else attempted the same kind of thing? Which means, if, even if we're going to accept that the Torah's fact happened, and we don't have another explanation for it, but if we find equally good proof, let's say somewhere else, so then we're going to have a stereo. Because even if we have to accept what the Torah says, and we can't argue the facts, and we can't argue the explanation of the facts, so now the next point to look at is, has anything else been duplicated? Or replicated anywhere else? Would anybody else have such a, a similar argument? And if we're going to see that, we're going to go through it step by step, obviously, but let's say we can show that it's impossible to argue with the Torah's facts, it's impossible to give any other interpretation to the Torah's facts, and no one's ever tried to re- replicate or offer in the course of history anything similar to what the Torah said, so then you're going to have to accept that the Torah's argument is a very powerful argument. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to go, just besides for what the Torah says, we're going to examine the evidence, so to speak, from these three points of view, and that really builds up the strength of the proof of what we call the Maimon Tarsinah of Matan Torah, of the experience in the Midway. Alright, so, before we start. So the first point we have to talk about is that the Torah places its story in the context of a place and a time of the other people who were alive and lived at the time. In other words, the Torah isn't telling us about some nomadic tribe who lived in a distant location somewhere far away and a long, long time ago. The Torah was talking 
at the time and in the place of the people who lived in that place. So it tells us about the story of Mitzrayim and what happened to and uh, involves the kingdom of Egypt. It talks about the 31 kings of Canaan and involves what happened to the 31 kings of Canaan. It talks about Midian and Ammon and Moab and Sichon and Og and all the kings who were the power players at the time when the story of the Torah happened. Now, this is a very important point to think about because if the religion would focus only on the story of the Jewish people, so then we could say, you know what, there was some tribe who did their own thing, made up their own story, it didn't affect the rest of the world, so you know, they could have made up whatever they wanted to make up. But if it's a story which intimately involves all the kingdoms which were around at the time, without exception, and it says what happened to them. So then if that's the case, it's talking about facts which the people who were alive at the time would know for sure if it was true or not true. What happened to Sichon and Og? What happened to the kings of Canaan? Where did the strength of the money of Egypt go to? For the, the Torah is telling us a story about the, 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 all the nations around Klai Yisrael, besides for Klai Yisrael, and it's giving us in detail what, came to, what became to those nations. So this, this, this is the first important point. It's not something which is, is taken out of world history and some separate event which only happened to the Jewish people, which could be argued no one knew about no one cared about. The Torah's account intimately involves everybody else who was alive. And it wasn't only at this stage, it goes further than that. When the Torah is going to tell us the story of Klai Yisrael's sojourn in Yisrael, and it's going to tell us about the neighboring kingdoms of Aram, and afterwards Asher, and afterwards Babel, and Mitzrayim, and Hiram of Ketur, then we, these are all countries which existed at the time. We, ha, we know about these dynasties, we know about these countries. What happened to them? In other words, the Torah makes tremendous claims. Torah says Sancherev and the whole Syrian army was wiped out in one night outside Yerushalayim. The Malchus of Asher was the world power at the time. What happened to it? No one argued with the point. Asher disappeared. And the same thing goes for Tzur. Tzur was an incredibly powerful island nation. And the Torah tells us exactly when it disappeared and who destroyed it. And the same thing goes for Babel. 100%. The Torah was written like here, was at the time it happened. The Torah was written in the Midbar as the Jews were going through <coughs> and eventually conquering Sechon uh, and uh, Midian. Uh, the story of Yeshua was written at the conquest of Eretz Israel. These, these are taking place, there was a record at the time of things happening at the time, not just to the Jewish people. Having the time to people all around them. And like I said, today when you know, very often the Bible critics argued with the fact that the Torah brought up names of kings or whatever it was, battles, the Maisa, everything's been proven. Every king the Torah mentioned, they found his writings, they found his palace, or they found communication about him. And what happened to these people? It's not something that you could invent a story concurrent with the, with the country being there, which they wouldn't, which, which doesn't, isn't true. That would be the easiest way to show that the story isn't accurate. It's like the Havdil today, us rewriting the story of the Second World War about the countries involved in the war. With it, and, but we're going to write our own, so to speak, our, only, our own conclusion of what we would like to say happened. It, it involves too many players who were alive and aware of what was going on to do that. The same thing, to claim that the Egyptian army drowned in the sea when it never did. To claim that all the 31 kings of Canaan were overtaken and destroyed and uh, re-inhabited by the Jewish people when that never happened, there would be no way to make such a claim. 
Okay, so therefore our first point is that the, the story of the Torah is situated exa- with, within the world context of world history where it happens. And it tells you the story of what everyone, what happens around them. And therefore you're going to talk about the miracles of Isaiah Mitzrayim. We understand that this also talks about the downfall of Egypt. You're going to talk about the miracles of Eretz Israel. We understand that includes the destruction of 31 kingdoms. That isn't something which is like be forgotten about or overlooked. Okay, so that's our first point. This is even before we get to things which only concern the Jewish people themselves, such as the living in the desert and the Matan Torah. We'll still talk about that. I'm saying just the Torah's like background stage, so to speak, for the events which take place involved the whole world around it, and was written at the time when the people around it would not, were aware of what was going on. Okay, so that's our first point. Now, the second point. <coughs> the second point. The Torah makes, the, besides for the, like I said, the perspective looking at the history of the other countries, the second thing we have to think about, and that is, is the Torah's claim for itself. The Torah's claim for itself. And that is, the Torah says that when the, the Jewish people were taken out of Mitzrayim, we're talking about a population of 600,000 people. Plus women, plus children, so if you're going to double that, treble that, however you're going to come to, you're talking about millions of people. The Torah claims that these people were taken to the desert, which it says, it says itself, there was no natural water source, there was no food. And the claim is they were there for 40 years. And 40 years later, the same Jewish people emerges from the desert to destroy the kingdom of Canaan. Which means, how does the Torah explain what happened, how they survived for 40 years, in between leaving Mitzrayim and arriving in Canaan. The Torah gives us a dateline, and the Torah tells us that they were in an, in, an inhabitable desert for 40 years in between. Now, once again, the, the dates we can't argue with, because we know the dates of Mitzrayim, we know the dates when they attacked their Canaan. The countries around would know those dates too. So now we have to say that they were lived in the desert for 40 years. How do they do that? So the Torah gives us a list of miracles which happened. The, the man, the be'er, whatever was necessary in order to facilitate survival in the Midbar. And now the same question is, and let's not forget about the story which people believed. It happened. How else would it happen? In other words, what other way is there for such an enormous amount of people to live for such a long period of time, 40 years, in a place where there is no natural food and no natural water? And once again, we can't argue, we're not, the Torah didn't change the timeline. We, the timeline was based on incidents which the countries around them were aware of too. So there has to have been a way to survive. Again, it's not something you can convince people with, by the way, you saw, you heard, you experienced, whatever it is. We're not even talking about that yet. They lived. They ate. You can't convince people to, that, they, that they found had water when they didn't, or that they had food when they didn't. So the second point and the, and the second thing to think about, which is often overlooked, is that the very survival story of the Torah is something which has to have been. It's not like a prophecy which we can discuss. You know, did they hear? Didn't they hear? We'll get that next. They had to have survived somehow. And then once again, it's not a, there isn't an explanation for that which we would have without the Torah's account. And that's our second point, that the, the, the story of survival in the Midbar itself is something which we can't argue with. Israel did survive. Israel did survive. And if we, okay, we're going to come to the second point next, and that next tomorrow night, by the time, that is, are there other explanations for it? 
But firstly, the accounts. We can't argue the facts. Klayishol did leave Egypt. Klayishol did survive for 40 years in the Medbar with nothing. And then afterwards, Klayishol did attack Eretz Yisrael. So we can't argue the facts, which means we left with the Torah's account. They survived miraculously in the Medbar for 40 years. Okay. <laughs> we have to break into two things. Right now, I'm just talking about did the people who were alive at the time know? If you're going to ask, do we have records besides for the Torah? So you must understand, there weren't too many records being kept besides the Torah. Even if we have records of what happened, it wasn't historical accounts. It was, we have transactions or, or uh, things of the time talking about the leaders of the time. They weren't leaving history. So it's not like we have a contemporary historical account from the Egyptians or anybody else. Um, having said that, if they have found proof of various natures about the writings of the Egyptians about the plagues which happened and about the slaves they had. So there is corroborative evidence, but that's not the point. We're not discussing there how we know. We're discussing, is it something which at the time you could make up? Right. Okay, so that's our first point. Like I said, we're still going to get to Matan Torah, and we're still going to get to the second point, and that is, is there any other explanation? But that will leave for tomorrow, and we'll see inside what the Kazari has to say. I said, 